Hi, and welcome back, everyone. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord United Wealth Management. And thanks for joining us again here this week for Mike on Money, where we're going to talk about uh, what we've seen in the markets last week and uh, this week coming up. And uh, we're also going to take a bit of a dive into cryptocurrencies. Um, I know it's been a hot topic. I've touched on in the past. I've done uh, previous videos uh, with the recent volatility. Uh, we've been getting a lot of questions around you know, is it a good time to buy? What should you buy? How should you buy it? Uh, so I'm going to touch on a lot um, of those aspects today uh, and hopefully give you some more insight into uh, investing in crypto and, and also understanding crypto uh, in general. Um, but I did realize after uh, preparing for today's, uh, today's uh, video uh, <clears throat> that it is a much more in-depth um, process and information. So I'm actually going to do a five-part series on our YouTube channel uh, around cryptocurrencies, all the, you know, many different types. I won't say all different types because I won't touch into all different types. Uh, and then also uh, how to buy them, how they're traded, uh, and things you need to consider about uh, where to buy and sell them. So, uh, so look for that. We'll send out announcements about those, but I'm going to highlight a lot of it today, uh, just like we covered off SPACs last week and IPOs. Uh, we'll give you a good insight into what you need to know uh, before you start going to look at it, or if you already own some or, or uh, have traded in the past, maybe some things to consider for the future. So with that, as always, everything we talk about uh, here on these uh, the videos and podcasts, uh, keep in mind is for information purposes only. Do not take it as advice or solicitation. Always do your own due diligence or reach out to a professional and get advice as to how this might apply to your situation, you can always reach us at mikeonmoney.com. That's our portal to all our other content, uh, but most importantly, to access us, our, all our content information is there, uh, and, and you can even book appointments directly on that site. So uh, if you have any questions, do go there. Uh, happy to answer and uh, any, any questions you have and help in any way that we can. So let's, uh, oh. Always forget, if you are watching live here today, you can always put your questions up. Uh, just click that Q&A button. If you're listening to the podcast, as I mentioned, just go to mikeonmoney.com. And same if you're watching a replay of the video, uh, go there. And feel free to share these. Uh, we're happy to share these with other people. Uh, if you have friends or family that might be interested in some of the topics we covered. So with that, let's dive into what was going on in the markets coming up. Uh, we have the U.S. Chicago National or Fed National Activity Index for April. Coming up and also the financial markets uh, for Canada, in Canada were closed for Victoria Day holiday, of course, yesterday. Uh, so nothing new on that, those fronts. We did see the stock futures edge up a little bit today and bond yields creep down as people became a little bit more comfortable with that inflation number. If you remember last week, uh, we had a pretty high inflation number in Canada spiked up to 3.4%. Um, but that was expected. If you've been following us all along, we were expecting a spike in the short term and then level one off uh, and hopefully keeping level uh, or, or below that 3% level uh, into 2022. Uh, and, and of course, the Bank of Canada and the US Fed want it to last into 2023. Um, I think that's a little bit more optimistic than, than I would be, but, um, but that's kind of what we were expecting. So. So the markets have reacted to that pretty, uh, pretty predictably on that front. Um, sea change in global freight sales uh, out on the uh, coming out of the digital dark ages. So this is actually going to lead into a little bit of what we're talking about around the blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, when you when containers were loaded and shipped from from China over uh, across seas, particularly we're looking at a company called Media Shop out of Australia. Um, they never knew quite what got into containers. If there was a shortage of containers and things didn't get loaded, they wouldn't really realize that until it arrived in Australia um, weeks later. Uh, by applying you know, newer technology uh, and actually using a, uh, a blockchain technology, uh, which we'll talk more about, 
they can control the supply chain a lot more effectively. They know exactly what goes into which container, whether the container got filled, what's uh, still in the dock, what's on the ship, where that container in that ship is at all times uh, as it crosses the ocean. So they can keep a very close eye on the supply chain uh, and obviously more effective for inventory to contr controls and cost controls. So we're seeing a lot uh, of that come through the, uh, the freight industry, uh, which will mean, will mean lower costs uh, for uh, suppliers or, or for vendors, uh, and also more effective use uh, and distribution of the supply chain around the world. Uh, COVID might be shifting the, uh, the, the Raiden's goalpost. So uh, Columbia just recently lost its S&P global investment, investment grade status uh, as of last week. Uh, but that's uh, as usual when we see something like that happen, it raises the question is who might be next or, or who might be affected ne next, but also whether the number of countries seemingly uh, not being, or, or sorry, being spared uh, points uh, to, um, to move in on a movement of these rating goalposts, um, you know, all kind of has to be reviewed in a much different light given the COVID situation. So, uh, you know, what we would look at two years ago as far as the investment grade status versus today and also the expectation over the next couple of months is all up in question as uh, as how the investment grade status is being graded on COVID handling in each country. So uh, so some countries obviously doing better, but other ones we have to keep a very close eye on, especially if you're investing in, in debt in, uh, in the emerging markets. Um, Always, always be cautious on debt in emerging markets because uh, regardless of what the debt is doing, of course, you get the currency swings double hit. Uh, but now, of course, you have the COVID um, outcome as well could seriously affect the swing of devaluations on that debt, uh, that debt purchase. So always be careful with that on the emerging market front uh, and even more so these days. Uh, oil prices lose a little bit of momentum. Um, as uh, funds are cutting the positions, we talked about it last week, the hedge funds started to trim some positions. Funny enough, we trimmed a little bit of our position in, in the oil uh, uh, as well, uh, just taking some profits off, not necessarily changing our outlook uh, for 2021, just simply uh, taking a little bit of profits off the table as we did see that initial rally on the expectations of, of things reopening. Uh, and now we're seeing that kind of plateau a little bit. So. It's not necessarily a change of the outlook, but just seeing a slower growth from this point going forward. Uh, we continue to see portfolio managers uh, trim things off uh, for the second week in a row. Uh, job inflation versus, uh, sorry, jobs uh, versus inflation trade-off. Uh, so this is something we talked about since last year. Uh, you know, one of the big things about this recovery or coming out of this pandemic recovery, economic recovery, is uh, you know we go we've got to keep that inflation in check so we want to keep inflation low, but have to create jobs. Uh, all those jobs that were taken away, we've got to get people back to work. Uh, some of those jobs are not coming back, so creating new jobs uh, in order to uh, to bring the uh, the uh, unemployment numbers down. Uh, but of course, as you bring unemployment numbers down, you're pushing up inflation. So it's this this balancing act that the Fed has to. Uh, juggle uh, constantly. And uh, as we've seen uh, in the early part of 2021, um, they brought back a lot of jobs, uh, but they pushed up inflation. So now, you know, it's bringing down inflation while not getting rid of jobs, but still trying to keep some momentum there, but probably going to see that uh, level off a little bit as we bring the inflation numbers back down again. So a little bit of back and forth there continues. Uh, U.S. pot sellers uh, are stashing cash as uh, the banks are going to leave them high and dry. Uh, this is not a bad comment on banks, not picking on them. Uh, this is a, a, a infrastructure or a bank and infrastructure problem in the United States. Despite 36 states uh, in the US and DC having the legal use of marijuana, as, as we've talked about, it's not federally uh, legal in the United States, uh, which means banks can't really um, support um, cannabis companies. They can't provide them all the same bank, banking services. Uh, because that would violate the federal uh, anti-money laundering laws. So that leaves a lot of cannabis companies in the United States having to uh, stash cash uh, 
or look at other alternatives to the traditional banking offerings uh, that uh, companies usually enjoy. So it's another reason around this big push for a uh, federal legalization. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of money in that industry and, and to ha you know, have that in the banking sector uh, where you know, it can be properly monitored, taxed, and audited, and all these other wonderful things. Uh, Canada went through the same growing pains. Uh, of course, now it's legal in Canada, so they, you, know, you can't have your banking. Uh, uh, cannabis companies can't have their normal banking services up here in Canada, but that doesn't exist in, in the U.S. right now. Uh, in the U.S., the central banks are stepping up the exploration of a digital dollar. So again, leading into our crypto discussion today uh, and previous crypto discussions that I've, I've led on these videos, talking, uh, talking about the problem, one of the big problems with cryptocurrencies becoming mainstream is the central banks of the countries, of countries around the world uh, having a big challenge around regulation, uh, tracking taxation, uh, capital gains, uh, money laundering, uh, a whole host of regulatory issues come up when you talk about cryptocurrencies. So federal banks around the world uh, have been toying and struggling and analyzing um, you know, whether that they should come out with their own cryptocurrencies that you know, follow the regulations uh, to compete directly or to move away from you know, the, the, the open source digital platforms that are out there. Uh, and, and, and this is just coming more and more to the forefront as China puts more regulations around cryptocurrencies. Uh, and of course, as uh, you, you know, we start to see a little bit, I don't want to say mainstream use, but may, certainly mainstream access and talk about cryptocurrencies in, in North America, the US is uh, definitely looking at what they could do or what the potential uh, offering they could uh, put out there for a digital uh, US crypto version of the US dollar. So, uh, and then of course, again, leading into our conversation, cryptocurrencies, if you haven't fallen, had a massive sell it off last week, down almost 40% from their highs. They did bounce up a little bit today, uh, which we'll cover a little bit more, uh, but obviously a lot of volatility in that market. Uh, uh, and I'm not going to talk about the volatility being caused by uh, Elon Musk's tweet. I mean, that's just a side problem that cryptos have, uh, but it has nothing to do with the core, uh, you know, the core underlying um, transactions that are happening out there in the cryptos. On the COVID front, uh, Canada doing well, again, continuing. The numbers continuing to improve as far as the vaccine rollout goes. Uh, BC's now just moved to uh, 12 plus. Of course, as far as reopening is going, we're seeing some easing in Ontario, seeing some easing in Quebec. Uh, and BC, I'm not even going to speculate because we are coming up to our uh, 1 p.m. here right after this. Uh, you'll be able to hear the provincial update on uh, what changes they're making uh, after the long weekend and see what kind of reopening. Uh, the only thing I will say, of course, they have all, all the provinces have, have clearly telegraphed it's not going to be a, uh, a switch. It's going to be a gradual reopening. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of people may be hoping for uh, a lot of uh, changes uh, in the announcements this afternoon. Uh, I'll be hoping just for some incremental changes with at least a, a guideline as to what the summer is going to look like. Uh, I think everyone's ready to, uh, you know, have a little bit more uh, access uh, to recreational and uh, outdoor stuff. So uh, we'll hear that at one o'clock, but, uh, but the numbers are moving along really nicely. Here in BC, they've also, we were at a 16 week between vaccine shots. Uh, I believe I read this morning, they've now reduced that or they will be reducing that to a 50 day. Um, so it's a bit of a, a, a shortening of that, that time period and uh, rumors that it might even go shorter. Uh, and that 50 days on the Pfizer, obviously, it, it may be different with Moderna and um, AstraZeneca, uh, just simply on uh, avail availability of the vaccines. So, so all good on that front. Uh, and hopefully, we all get some good news today as far as, uh, as updates go on reopenings. So let's take a look at the markets. Uh, as I mentioned, the, uh, the conference board is, in the U.S. is expected to uh, show consumer confidence index uh, fell a bit uh, after jumping up in April. Uh, but again, these numbers, you know, when we say fall 
from previous months. Uh, we're going to hear that a lot in the in the numbers, and we have started to hear it a lot uh, in May, and uh, I'm certain we'll hear it in June again, so especially around the around the housing numbers and things like that. Uh, that's just fallen from their high, so that doesn't mean fallen from good levels. Uh, it's just that peak. It's just the, the growth is peaking out a little bit. It's still growing. It's just peaking out a little bit, uh, and not a big surprise uh, that that we see that. There was a big surge as things reopened, especially in the United States, uh, and then that's just leveling off a little bit as things slightly kind of return to normal. We're not there yet, obviously, but as, as things kind of uh, go to normal economic growth levels. Uh, so when we see those numbers uh, fall, you know, say and fell, uh, really got to look that into, into context and say, well, how much and, and what's the trend though? Is the trend still up? And that's positive. Uh, you know, month to month, there's always going to be some movement. Uh, the Federal Reserve Bank in Chicago, uh, you know, they're getting together to really look at uh, supervision and regulation rules. Uh, this is, you know, which leads into my last point there. Wall Street Bank executives are going to, uh, are expected to talk about their, their institutional roles that they played to help the, uh, the economy rebound after COVID or after the pandemic or kind of during the pandemic. Um, and this is just the back and forth between the Fed Reserve and you know, Wall Street uh, around regulations. We, we saw after 2008, we saw a lot of tightening regulations and then under the previous uh, US uh, administration, we saw some loosening of those um, regulations and now the discussions is where where should they end up? Should they stay where they are? Should they tighten a little bit again? Um, there's going to be a lot of back and forth here with the new uh, the new government in the United States. Not a big surprise there. Uh, we also see a little bit more uh, mergers in the oil and gas sector. A little bit surprising. Uh, we got, saw Cabot Oil and Gas and uh, Slimerix uh, to create a, a new firm, a $17 billion merger. Uh, and while we say surprising, it's it's just a little bit late in the oil pricing game. I mean, uh, again, if you've been following us for the last year, we saw a lot of M and A in the oil and gas sector last year when the when the prices were really low, uh, taking advantage of those lower prices. A lot less now. We're still seeing some. Uh, obviously, this one was a little bit out of the blue for the market, but uh, not necessarily negative. But uh, been on the paying a bit of a premium on the. Uh, the asset side of things here, uh, but um, but hopefully we'll see, we'll see uh, we'll see more details of this as it plays out. Uh, big banks are looking for post-pandemic rebound on their credit card revenue. So no surprising, people got a little bit more uh, conservative around their spending uh, through uh, through the pandemic. Uh, a little bit worried about the future, so credit card spending and balances were reduced. Uh, remember, the banks make their money on you carrying a balance, not on using your credit card. The credit card companies like Visa and MasterCard, they make their money off every time you, you transact the card, uh, but the banks make most of their money off you carrying a balance. So the best client for, uh, for a bank is someone who carries a balance on the credit card. If you're, if you're paying your credit card off every month, you're not a good, uh, a credit, you're not a good credit card client uh, for, for banks anyway. So, uh, so they, they, you're not their favorite when it comes to uh, revenues. Uh, but a lot of people paid down their credit card balances, obviously uh, around concerns of future through the pandemic. Uh, and now banks are kind of turning their sights on people getting out there, using the credit cards again, and uh, keeping the revenues flowing. Pfizer's uh, begin testing uh, the use of uh, of the COVID nineteen booster shot with the new pneumococcal vaccine uh, alongside it. So uh, especially for those over 65, of course, getting that, you know, the vaccine every year uh, is, is really important. Uh, so now they're starting to, uh, you know, much like we see in kids taking the mRNA vaccines, uh, sorry, not mRNA vaccines, the rubella, they have their combined vaccines. I should know my kids, are, that's how old my kids are again. I can't remember what that, uh, uh, that vaccine's called. Anyway, it's the the rubella one that has the combined vaccines uh, in it. Uh, they're looking at combining it just to make it easier uh, for people to uh, get their annual um, COVID-19 boosters, but also get their pneumococcal vaccine at the same time. Uh, and we'll probably see more and more of that, you know, a little, you know, little bit of time as they test to see, is it safe? 
uh, you know, what the doses look like uh, and, and make sure uh, it's something that we can do moving forward. But obviously, if it is safe and they can do it uh, and they can keep the, the doses of each low enough uh, in a vaccine that you can get a combination one, it makes it easier for everybody. Uh, Russia, Russia sorry, is giving Google only 24 hours to delete the banned content. Uh, so we've seen this in China as well. We see uh, in Russia, you know, there's certain contents that they don't want out there. Uh, there's a lot of different laws in in uh, in Russia, obviously around LGBTQ, LGBTQ, and also speaking against the government. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, content that uh, is not allowed uh, with the uh, through the Russian government. Um, and uh, Google has been given 24 hours to get it all down, or they'll shut down the website. Uh, and we've seen China do that in the past, so um, won't be surprised if they follow through. So I'm sure Google's working hard on that one. Uh, Exxon's uh, working uh, to add a couple of new directors to the board, uh, made a bitter uh, proxy fight. So this is just uh, their annual proxy vote, um, you know, looking at the direction that the, uh, the energy industry and around the climate experience uh, for the next 12 months. Uh, there's been some back and forth uh, over the last year as to uh, where they want to take things. And obviously it's the shareholders that are, uh, you know, can, can, can push the company through their vote, uh, through their proxies uh, to uh, drive the, the oil company's climate stance uh, and their board makeup. So uh, as this happens, we're looking at, they're looking at a couple of new directors uh, to the board to, uh, to provide for what the, uh, the shareholders are asking for. Uh, coming up in Canada, we, retail sales have been uh, plunging again, strong word, plunging in April uh, as restrictions tighten. It has pulled back. Obviously, uh, Canada did have some pretty serious uh, shutdowns. Uh, you know, in BC, we've been lucky compared to the rest of the country. Uh, as far as the closures go, we did have more restrictions come into place, but Ontario and Quebec, uh, the bigger provinces, uh, obviously had much stricter COVID shutdowns. Um, and that, of course, have affected some retail sales. Uh, but as they both reopen, uh, I don't expect those numbers to, to, uh, to last uh, into the summer. Uh, Enbridge has got together with uh, Fluxies and EIG, which is a uh, private U.S. equity firm, uh, to put in a bid for Brazil's top natural gas import pipeline. Uh, so this is a bit of a global pipeline battle again, uh, you know, taking the commodities aside, but... Uh, you know, a lot of talk around uh, pipelines, of course, expansions, and more and more companies trying to get more uh, more in inventory movements uh, through the pipelines that they have. So, uh, so they're making a move for for Brazil's top uh, natural gas line, and of course, the Kansas City Southern Railway. Uh, the fight continues. Uh, so, if you haven't followed this, uh, I've talked about it a little bit. Just a brief recap. CP Rail had a really solid bid into buy Kansas City uh, Southern, uh, which was actually going to create one of the longest railways from Canada all the way down through Mexico uh, under one under one uh, kind of a company. Uh, it was well liked by the, um, the the trust boards that oversee the railways. It was well received by both shareholders. Uh, and it made a lot of sense. Uh, CP was going to grow, but they'd still, as far as competition goes, it was going to be very creative to both companies' growth uh, without really uh, blocking any kind of, um, of competition rules or competition, fair competition. Uh, and then CN stepped in uh, to, with their higher, a higher bid for it uh, and uh, kind of threw things off the rails a little bit. And uh, KC Southern has decided that they want the higher bid from CN. CP said that they weren't going to raise the bid by about $4 billion, uh, and, uh, which is a bit of a complication because CN uh, actually does create some competition problems uh, because there is a lot of overlap between those two uh, railways. Uh, it's also, um, it doesn't really add accretive growth to both, uh, some accretive growth overall, obviously, but not really to both. Um, and uh, CN also has to pay an extra billion dollars. They have to pay a breakup fee uh, to, to CP of about 700 billion, and they have to uh, also create a, a separate trust uh, for the railway to exist in while the antitrust boards review whether uh, this deal is good for, uh, for consumers. 
uh, and it could be blocked uh, at some point. There's no certainty around that. So they could spend a billion dollars and still not get the railway. So um, there was a lot of pushback by a lot of different groups, including shareholders on both sides to, uh, for, for KC to accept the CP uh, bid, even though it was lower. Um, but, uh, but that's not how things work out. They've accepted the CN. So now we start that process of setting up the trust and paying the breakup fee. Uh, so we'll watch that play out. I don't think it's negative for either railways in, in the long run, uh, but it certainly would have been a lot more creative for CP had they, had they won. On the dollar, cent, dollar front, we saw the US dollar slip a little bit further, uh, continue its it's uh, it's drag uh, just as we see optimism in the market, we see weakness in the dollar. Uh, so that trend continues. As I mentioned, cryptocurrency, we saw a lot of volatility traded on the weekend, traded around uh, 36,750 uh, US. Um, you know, bounced up this morning, I think just over 40,000 again, uh, but a lot of volatility. In fact, last week, I think we saw it uh, dip down and almost hit 30,000. Uh, so a lot of movements uh, in the last week around the cryptocurrencies, especially uh, Bitcoin, which is the prime one that, uh, that everyone tends to follow. As I mentioned, the, uh, the bond market dropped a little bit. On the commodity front, as we talked about, oil rose a little bit on inflation fears, but uh, we off its highs of $70 down to about 66 just as some of that profit taking comes out. Uh, you know, still some predictions it could hit $80 a, bar a barrel this summer as the vaccine rollout continues uh, at the current pace. So let's dive into cryptocurrencies. And I know some of you uh, are probably uh, more educated than others on this and you know, have more insight, but I'm gonna try to bring everyone up to kind of speed and cover off uh, some of the basics, uh, but uh, then get into a bit more detail. So let's, you know, let's start, start by talking about, you know, uh, the blockchain or cryptocurrencies and, and what they are. So cryptocurrencies, as we know, is just a digital currency. So it's a digital dollar, um, but it, it trades or it exists on, on the blockchain. And what the blockchain is in its simplest terms, if you think about a bank, um, you know, traditional bank is what we call a centralized system. So if, anyone wants access to their money or anyone wants access to the bank, we all go to the bank, right? So there's all these uh, individual lines pointing to a central location. So that's where everything's held. That's where all the transactions are tracked. And that's uh, where uh, all the ledgers are maintained or all the, um, all the uh, transactions are maintained basically at the central position. And the challenge that, you know, the, the, the blockchain brings to this is of course at one central location is easy to attack. So think about Fort Knox, if everything's in Fort Knox and, and you can manage, it might not be easy to get into Fort Knox, but it's easy to say, I'm gonna put all my efforts and knowledge into trying to get into Fort Knox. It's one location. If I manage to get in there, I get access to what's in there. And, and that's kind of the risk of this centralized location. There's, uh, there's another way to, to look at kind of digital um, you know, diversity is decentralized approach. And you can think about that as, you know, as social media. So if you're on social media, say Facebook or Instagram, you're linked into uh, that social media account into a centralized location, but then you're linked to all your friends out that. So you know, there's all these branches around, but uh, all through all those branches, they all lead back to a, a centralized location. So that's where you, again, you get you know, the, the risk of being able to find your way in through one of those channels and still lead back to the centralized location. The way blockchain works, it's what we call a distributed network. So think about it as uh, nodes. So no centralized location. Nodes exist all around the world and each node is made up of multiple, multiple uh, computers and, 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 and systems uh, or clouds around the world. Uh, and every time a transaction happens, so every time someone goes out to, to buy a cryptocurrency or to buy, say, Bitcoin, um, that transaction is sent out to all those nodes and then again divided amongst them all those little computers. And, through, uh, and they're blocked up with other transactions, not just your transaction. 
And all as, as that transaction is being ledgered, it's, it's being ledgered across all those nodes and all those different block, all, all the nodes, uh, sorry, the block is divided across all the nodes and all the computer systems within those nodes uh, into tiny little bits. And each one will record that final transaction across all those areas. So if you think about how it is processed, in order to hack into that, you would have to attack every single node and every single computer simultaneously, hack into it and override that transaction uh, ledger uh, in order to uh, kind of hack or, or, or get access to that or manipulate that. So it's pretty difficult to hack into, uh, making it a very secure platform. Um, now that's what makes the blockchain very powerful. Now there's two different types of blockchain. There's a private blockchain, and that actually uh, is that shipping um, container uh, example I gave earlier. Uh, they're using a private blockchain, so it's not open to everybody. It's not open access to the public. Uh, it's closed, uh, and they can track those containers. They can track those ships. You know, anyone who is granted access to that blockchain, uh, and and they can update that across all those nodes and across all the systems, and keep a very accurate approach to that. On the public side, and that's where your cryptos take place, this is where the public can have access to it, so you can go buy and sell through it. Uh, and it is uh, open to you know why you have so many different cryptocurrencies, it's, it's wide open and it's spread around. But if you think about the crypto market on the blockchain, currently of the size of that, which is over $2 trillion, I think right now, um, give or take, don't quote me on that, and it's constantly moving, about 50% of that is, is Bitcoin. Uh, and Ethereum is another big one we're going to talk about today is about 20%. So, uh, so that's what makes uh, cryptocurrencies attractive. Uh, it's, it's, it's distributed, it's global, it's not attached to anything. Uh, it's very secure uh, and it's very quick uh, to do a transaction. So let's talk uh, about Bitcoin in particular. Um, and then we'll break it down a little bit more since Bitcoin is the largest and most popular. It was also the very first cryptocurrency. It, it popped up back in 2008. Uh, it came out along with a white paper uh, that was writ written by Satoshi uh, Nakamoto. Uh, now, no one knows if that's an individual or a group. No one took credit for it. Uh, but this white paper basically outlined the, uh, the, the, the basics of the concept of cryptocurrency. And, and this is what Bitcoin was basically uh, based on. Uh, and the idea was going to be, uh, you know, when it first came out was that Bitcoin was going to be money. It was going to be just like money. It was going to be used as currency, uh, just like uh, any other fiat currency. So fiat currency, the Canadian dollar, the US dollar, or fiat currencies. Um, and, and that's kind of what the, the, the original uh, premise was. And, and, and if you think about a currency, what is it, what traits does it have to have? Well, you know, ideally it's, it's scarce, so it has value, uh, that is durable, uh, you know, it doesn't go away. It's divisible, right? Because every transaction is going to be uh, different amounts. It's recognizable. People have to, you know, it has to be accepted at uh, where you want to do this uh, transaction, fungible and transportable. Um, and we've seen currencies throughout history before we got to the dollars. There's a lot of things that were used for currency. Uh, and even gold sometimes is considered, considered uh, a currency. But gold faces a lot of challenges when you look at those 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 uh, those qualities. Uh, you know, it's not easily divisible. Um, it's not transportable. You know, there's a lot of problems around gold, which is why gold really never took off as a uh, a main currency in modern society. Um, now, Bitcoin it, it fits a lot of those categories, uh, but you know, not perfectly. That being said, neither do the fiat currencies. I mean, if you think about the scarcity uh, factor. Uh, one of the big challenges we have certainly over this last year and, and probably for the next coming years is the, the amount of money uh, being printed by uh, you know, countries like Canada and the US, uh, you know, making it less and less scarce, right? Uh, so it, 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 it's, it's not a controlled scarcity. So, uh, you know, even our fiat currencies don't fit perfectly in all those, those categories. So, you know, Bitcoin uh, fit a lot, but one of the big challenges it had it is, if you think about that uh, distributed network, uh, it is a very costly process to run that through all those systems. Uh, and, and if we do, dove into the, the blockchain side of things, you know, we can dive, dive into the power use and, and, and environmental impact and 
pool and so many different layers, uh, which we will in our far part series. But today, just understand it's a very expensive uh, to do a Bitcoin transaction. So it became unfeasible uh, to do uh, to, to handle small um, small transactions. So as a as a day to day currency, uh, very unlikely. So keep that in mind when you're when you're investing in, in Bitcoin. Uh, it will very likely never really become a day to day currency. Well, let's move past that for a second and talk about mining of crypto, uh, specifically Bitcoin. So uh, mining is the uh, basically uh, something what they call proof of work. So every one of those transactions I mentioned um, that happened, it gets pooled and put into blocks and sent out to the nodes and then from the nodes into individual computers, which are doing these very intensive um, uh, mathematical uh, calculations in order to create the ledger and have proof that that transaction happened. Now, if your computer is one of the ones being used or, or you know, if you're a mining farm out there that's uh, actually providing proof of work of one of those transactions or many of those transactions, uh, you get paid uh, in crypto. Now, the amount that's being paid out is actually on the decline in scale as time goes on. In fact, it's averaging just over four years uh, that, that it drops. So, you know, if you go back in 2008, um, every every block that was sent out, um, the computers that took part would share uh, 50 Bitcoin uh, would be divided up amongst the computers that transacted that block. Uh, now it's about six and a quarter. So you know, much, much smaller because there's, there's hundreds and thousands of computers in each block. So you know, your piece of that, that Bitcoin is, is, is very limited. Now also the Bitcoin structure is that there is a lifetime maximum number of Bitcoin that can be created. And it's 21 million. We're currently sitting around 18.7 million. And by 2041, there'll be no new Bitcoin at the current rate of a decline of mining payments. Um, by 2020, 2040, uh, there'll be no new crypto, crypto, or sorry, Bitcoin being created. So that means uh, when we talk about that scarcity factor, uh, Bitcoin fits into that really nicely because we know exactly how big that market is and we can monitor exactly how quickly that total volume is, is growing by. So we can, under, we can understand the supply side of things. Demand's another thing, but supply side's there. Um, so that takes, uh, but it takes, you know, this time and cost, you know, doesn't work for all those small transactions. But what it does work for, and if you are investing into Bitcoin, uh, specifically as a crypto, keep in mind what you're buying is a stored value currency. So much like gold. Gold is not, the, the, the world supply of gold uh, is not out there being mined because there's a day-to-day -day economic use for it. It's not like silver, it's not like aluminum, it's not like uh, you know, other uh, resources uh, like oil, where we say we're gonna go you know, mine that or, or drill for that, and then we have this use for it. It's actually being used. Gold is a stored value investment. And if you think about it, we've had more gold that's needed uh, for any industrial use, uh, there is some industrial uses, but not the amount of gold we have for, for decades and decades, uh, you know, since it's, it's stopped being a back for the currencies, uh, but it still maintained its value between 1,000 and 2,000, you know, for the better part of the last decade, um, regardless of that. And that's what we're seeing in Bitcoin. It's a stored value currency. Now, there is a lot of volatility around it, and, and we'll get a bit more into that, uh, but a lot of that's being just driven by how it's traded uh, and who's buying it. So where is this demand coming from? So who's buying it? Well, there's kind of three categories. Um, there's corporations. So there's some corporations that are using it uh, to store value within, uh, you know, the retained earnings. Uh, so that'd be like Tesla has come out and talked about that they had at one point anyway, 1.5 billion in, um, in Bitcoin and also a company called MicroStrategy. Uh, they are using it, that as the main reserve for their um, retained earnings within the company. Uh, so there, you know, there's one aspect of, of buying it and storing the, the Bitcoin uh, and, and retained earnings strategy. Uh, we also see institutional money managers. The biggest probably in the United States is, a, is an institutional money manager called Grayscale. They're about $40 billion in Bitcoin that they have in stored value. Uh, in their investments, uh, and, and you know their goal there is ride ride it as it 
gains in value based on this limited supply. And then of course we have the more recent one that's much more active is retail. So uh, this is, you know, companies like PayPal, you can go buy it on. There's also different apps you can buy. Uh, and of course there's exchange traded funds out there. You can go buy and, um, and, and, and buy and sell it if you will in your portfolios uh, and, and get access to it uh, through, through those channels. And as people, more and more retail investors put money into those, uh, it's eaten up some of that supply, right? So more demand coming into the market. And that's where a lot of the volatility we've seen over the last little while is from that retail. Retail tends not to be as long, um, long viewed as institutional corporations. So, you know, they, they all rush in at once. There's a big uh, demand drive, uh, driving up the price. And then when there's weakness, uh, they tend to be much more emotional and get scared and sell off driving down the price uh, and are also very swayed apparently by what Elon Musk uh, will tweet out day to day. So, uh, so keep that in mind when you talk about volatility. So that's Bitcoin in a nutshell. Now I'm going to move over to Ethereum. Uh, so Ethereum uh, is another kind of cryptocurrency. And this was based, came out in 2015. It's based on a smart contract technology. So it uses blockchain just like Bitcoin. The difference is Ethereum was built uh, to follow a pre-programmed rules. So the easiest way to explain that, if you think about uh, putting money into escrow, so you buy Ethereum, you put it into escrow, uh, and when the condition of that escrow happens, uh, Ethereum will automatically release those funds. Uh, so no one has to go in, no, uh, no block or uh, blockchain or nodes have to be involved. The conditions were met, it moves on. Um, so it makes it, uh, it, makes it very useful, uh, especially when you talk about day-to-day -day banking situations where there are a lot of banking functions that are rules-based. Put it here until this happens. Once that happens, move on to the next and then the next and the next and the next. Um, and and uh, that's called decentralized finance or DeFi. And uh, so DeFi technology is where Ethereum kind of fits in, where it, it will uh, pick up more and more use. Now, until 2020, from 2015, there wasn't a lot of growth around that, which is probably why you've not heard as much of Ethereum when you talk about cryptocurrencies. But since 2020, since the pandemic and more moved to e-commerce and online, we've seen a big spike in uh, systems uh, and apps and, and, and providers using DeFi technology and specifically Ethereum for those transactions. So uh, that's where you've seen this spike in growth in Ethereum uh, as far as cryptocurrencies and in its value. If you look at a graph of Ethereum, we've seen a big spike in growth in it uh, since 2020 uh, and a lot around uh, it's becoming more popular to be used for this DeFi or smart contracting technology in the banking sector. So just as an example, when you go to invest into cryptocurrencies, don't think of them as all the same, just like if you're going to invest into a car or into uh, stocks, uh, you know, uh, Royal Bank is not the same as going by and tell us. They're two different industries, they're two different companies. Uh, really understand why you're buying it. Are you, you know, buying for the qualities of Bitcoin or are you buying it for the transaction ability of Ethereum uh, and growth of that side? maybe you want to look at that. And that'd be true of any uh, cryptocurrency out there. Uh, and Ethereum actually uh, is being used for over $40 billion of transactions these days, uh, just based on that technology. Now, there are all a lot of other coins out there. I'm not going to get into them. Uh, I will talk about stable coins. So it's another class of coins. So stable coins are very different. Uh, so they're also crypto. They also trade on the block blockchain. Sorry. Um, but they're pegged to a fiat currency, uh, say the US dollar. Uh, so there's no volatility in their pricing other than their underlying pegged currency. Um, there's about $30 billion in the stable currencies out there. Uh, and, and where this is being used more and more is for businesses making payments to international, you know, for international contracts or international companies. So uh, you think about it, if a company wanted to uh, pay a supplier in Germany from, from Canada, uh, it takes days, even weeks, to kind of get that transaction through the tra the uh, traditional um, banking system because of the international rules. Uh, but going out and buying a stable coin uh, and then transacting it immediately across the blockchain, uh, it happens in a day, uh, and it makes it a lot easier. So again, 
much uh, much easier to transact, less volatility in in the in the price, and obviously the growth in these coins are going to be really uh, by uh, amount of people that are using them, and more and more people use them. I said they're roughly 30 billion uh, currently uh, being used out there today. So uh, so let's move away from the coins themselves because again I can dive in for forever on the, that topic. Uh, and let's let's move over to access. So uh, as, as I mentioned before, you can uh, absolutely go buy cryptocurrencies. Uh, there's a few ways to do that. You can, as I mentioned, PayPal allows you to do it. There's um, markets or public um, apps and, and, and sites you can do it, like Coinbase is a large one. Uh, you can have a private key. So you've probably heard this or where someone's put it on a USB drive, put a private uh, uh, encryption key encryption key on it and then lost or forgotten the encryption key and can't access it or lost the drive and it's gone. Um, but those are kind of direct ways you can go buy the, the currencies uh, yourself um, and, and hold them. Uh, there, uh, there's a lot out there. Do your own research. I'm, you know, of the ones I've just named, I'm not endorsing any of them. Uh, you know, do, do, do some due diligence around the ones there have been, you know, we've all heard the story of the uh, CEO who went missing or presumed dead, and you know, no one knew the um, the password to get into uh, the, the wallets for anybody, and all that uh, crypto was lost, and then later found out it wasn't there in the first place. Anyway, uh, do do your your uh, due diligence, so be cautious on those, but uh, you can do that direct purchase. Uh, Closed-end funds. So closed-end funds uh, came out early uh, before regulators really allowed them to be what we call open-ended funds, or ETFs. Uh, but they trade like kind of like stocks uh, and grayscale I mentioned uh, was the, the biggest in the US and then uh, Canada three uh, IQ was one of the early uh, forefronts with, uh, uh, with their closed end funds that you can go buy those and they're still available today. Uh, you can direct invest directly in companies that invest in Bitcoin. Uh, I mentioned MicroStrategy, which is mainly a software company, but uh, again, all their uh, retained earnings are in uh, Bitcoin. Uh, so they do fluctuate a lot. Uh, their stock fluctuates on the value of Bitcoin. Uh, and another one, Silvergate, which is a, a, a basically a bank for cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, so a lot of people will, will invest in those equities and, and taking advantage of the growth uh, of that market. Or as I mentioned, there are ETFs out there. In Canada, we have Evolve, CI, and Purpose, all of the probably the bigger ones so far. There's going to be more. Uh, that have uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency um, ETFs you can go buy uh, uh, into your portfolios, into your RSPs, into your TFSAs, and invest into it. Now, that being said, those are the ways you can access it. Now, here's a bit of risk. I've talked about the volatility, but you know, just to define the volatility, uh, you know, Bitcoin has had, even in the last year, uh, a plus 42% day and a minus 42% day. And a lot of that volatility can happen within an hour. Uh, now here's your challenge, it depends on how you wanna buy this, is um, Bitcoins and cryptocurrencies trade on a 24 seven market globally. So that means any time of day, uh, any day of the week, it can be moving by that 42 or higher. I mean, that's just what we've seen in the last year. Um, and it's affected by all kinds of things. I've mentioned and kind of kidded about the Elon Musk tweets, but it can, it can be based on something that happens overseas in a different market in different times. So, uh, I mean, just recently, I think it was a 37% move at 12.42 AM on, you know, on the Bitcoin price. So if you can imagine if you trade in an ETF as an example, or in a closed end fund or, or those equities, um, you could wake up in the morning and, and go to look at your ETF value and see that it's moved by 30, 40% or more down or up. You never know uh, overnight or over the weekend. Uh, but the thing is you can't react to those price and changes. So, because uh, the markets are closed, right? I mean, even if I bought you an ETF uh, in your portfolio and uh, I, I knew that it was going to be bad or something bad was happening overnight, I, I couldn't do anything until market open when that ETF starts trading. So you wouldn't have access to that, uh, to react to that volatility. So a lot of people favor to use the direct purchase routes uh, because you do have your finger on the pulse 24 seven. Uh, however, that means you have to kind of have your finger on the pulse 
24 seven. And, and, and that's a lot of, a lot of concern. As I mentioned, it was 1240, uh, 12.42, I think it was in the morning uh, that we saw that big 30% move uh, just recently in Bitcoin. And if you weren't awake, you missed that, right? Whether an opportunity to buy or an opportunity to sell, uh, you, you would have missed that opportunity. Uh, you would have slept through it. So uh, that, that's kind of the risk of the volatility around these cryptos, uh, especially if you're taking a more speculative approach to it, uh, you know, which is always dangerous. But, you know, make sure if you are buying in, the, in, in these digital uh, assets that you, uh, you have a high risk tolerance because they are going to move. It's a new, uh, it's a new sector of the market. It's a, it's a new, a new thing. It, there's a lot of unprovenness around it, and 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 that's taken out that regulatory uncertainty that I've talked about in the past, right? There's a lot of regulatory uncertainty that has overweighted this whole area that could change on a dime. Uh, if if uh, uh, you know, we've seen China do it, not a surprise. But you know, if the U.S. were to make a move, or you know, uh, Europe, EU were to make a move. Uh, you could have massive ripples through uh, these markets, positively or negatively, depending on what uh, direction that they take things. So, uh, so do be cautious. Uh, have a high risk tolerance. Um, as I've talked to many of you, uh, this is why I don't recommend in portfolios right now because of that volatility, uh, because of all those extra risks. And um, but what I wanted to do today is really just highlight kind of the the you know what. What the, what the technologies are, what you're investing into, and the different that there are different types, and, and make sure that whatever reason you're investing into, if you choose to, uh, that you, you pick the right one for the type of investment that you want to see happen in your portfolio. So with that, I'm not going to bore you any longer. Like I said, I'm going to do a five-part series that's going to take a much, much deeper dive into all these things. Uh, if you're interested in that, come uh, follow our links. Uh, go to mikeonmoney.com. If there's anything I didn't answer and you'd love to uh, get more information on, uh, again, reach out to us. Happy to answer those. Uh, and if you have anyone that's interested in cryptocurrencies uh, or uh, want to learn more about them, send our way. We'll, we'll try to help them out as best we can. So with that, all the best to you. Enjoy this week. We'll talk again next week. Bye now.